it's a little bit embarrassing to say, but when I was in middle school, I was in a, a church youth choir, and we had the cheesiest, most cliche na- uh, name ever. We were called Impact, and we showed up on this choir tour uh, to this church, and we were expecting uh, gobs and gobs of people that were there, and um, uh, we, we walked out on stage. There were like 50 of us, and there were eight people in the crowd, and uh, I just remember in my heart feeling like this is the lamest thing ever. And uh, we need not participate in this, and we should just call it a night, and like, like, why are we even doing this? And what ended up happening that night is God taught me a lesson that I will uh, forever be grateful for, because I, I learned it at 12. Many people have to learn this lesson later. Um, but what happened is God just decided that with those eight people and with the 50 of us in like a nearly empty um, church building, God just changed all of our lives. Uh, we all who were there that night encountered the realness of the character of God in ways that I could never even possibly describe to you. And so the cool thing is I got to learn at a very um, early age that uh, nights like tonight where weather affects things and whatever, uh, I don't have to like, I don't have to be remiss in that. I don't have to be disappointed in that. Instead, I could say, all right, God, uh, you've brought the few, the proud, and the those able to drive in the treachery here. Um, so God do a work tonight. So that's, that's, what, that's what I'm praying is going to happen. In fact, I'm desirous of this being one of the uh, pinnacle nights for you and your faith. That's my heart. That's my desire. I can't make that happen, but I'm going to pray to the Lord here in a second that, that he'll do that. So are you guys with me in that? Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm going to go at it, okay? Uh, I'm going to unleash and, and uh, see where the Lord will take it all. But we have to begin with a, um, let me describe it this way, an evolution of your understanding of race. And when I say race, I'm not talking about people races. I'm talking about racing, okay? Uh, do you remember the first ever race that you ever participated in, right? You, can you think back that far? There's a good chance if you had siblings that were around the same age, it was with them, probably in like a basement or outside in the back. And, and randomly, you just said, ratio you know, and you were probably already leaving, and so they had to catch up, you know, and there was this, you know, superficial I won kind of moment. Okay, do you guys remember that, right? What's interesting is that, is that racing begins to mature, because I remember all of those, like, youthful, young races, right, where I was, you know, just racing around the house, and, and then I remember being almost, uh, like, 10, uh, I was probably 9 years old, 8 years old, and my grandfather had a farm. And when racing matured, the course matured, right? So me and my cousins will all be together. We're like, all right, here we go. We're going to race. And you need to go around the oak tree there. And then you need to go behind the combine and underneath the combine. And then through the greenhouse. And then you need to climb that, the bird thing there. We don't even know what that is. And then you need to go by, you need to grab a cookie from grandma. And then you're, and then you end in the ditch. And then the winner, you know, and the cool thing was, every single time we raced, we knew someone could die. Like, that was the, that was the awesome thing about racing on the farm. But it matured. And then, then we got to middle school. Okay? Well, well, now all of a sudden, if you raced, you wore a uniform. Okay? Because okay, I was, uh, much to my chagrin, on the track team. Okay? Uh, again, I, this wasn't a wise decision by my part, but I was on it. And uh, when, I, when I was in high school, certainly, Keith, uh, probably when you were in middle school, too, you, you, like, the shorts were still, like, almost illegal, like, how high they were, okay? 
I know some of you guys, I know most of you don't relate to this, but because uh, they've gone the other way, but there, there was a time, even for me, like where shorts, again, would have created, you know, triple X church things to come up on Google Images. Anyway, um, so w- what happened is you got to wear a uniform and then wear cleats, you know, and, and like all of a sudden you're, the, the start of the race is with a gun and it's, you know, fair game. It's weird. Well, then I got to high school. And again, I don't know why I made this decision, but I decided to continue to race. And my particular race was the 400. Um, so uh, let me explain this on, from a couple different levels. First of all, we ran on a cinder track. I know nowadays most of you who run track, you get to run on like a bounce house, okay? It's like, this is amazing, and I'm on the circus because the track is so nice and perfect and bouncy. A cinder track is the equivalent of running on glass barefoot, okay? It's, hor- it's horrible, just about every race, someone breaks their face, okay? Like, just about every race, someone's going to fall face first, and all of their hands and their face are going to eat glass, okay? And you're going to wear the scars for the rest of your life. That's what it was like running on a cinder track. Keith, did you guys have cinder? Was that? Okay, that's a good point. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate that. Um, so the, the 400, have any, has anyone in here actually, by raise of hand, run, run the 400 before? Okay. So all of you guys understand this. Listen, there was never once that I ran the 400 and was glad that I did. You don't, the only good part of the 400 was being done with it. And even that took time because it took like a day to recover, okay? So for those that don't, aren't good at math, the 400 is one lap around the track and you're sprinting, okay? And, and I just, I remember the whole, the whole thing. Like I, I, would, I would be nervous about it for days because I hated every second of it. And then you come up to the line, and you're, I'm literally thinking in my mind, why am I doing this? This is so stupid, you know? But when the gun fires, like, I don't want to be an embarrassment either, so I'm going to run the thing, you know? So, so you start out, and you feel good for about 10 feet, you know? Like, you come out of the gate strong, and you're, you still feel like your body's one, okay? But for me, when I got to about the, uh, the fourth way mark, okay, so a fourth of the way through, I'm not doing the math now, but 100 meters or yards in. At that point, I started, uh, in general, hallucinating, okay? Because I'm already, like, I'm already losing bodily functions, okay? I'm already, like, salivating in, uh, from my mouth. and lo- oh, oh, Crazy things are happening. I got to the halfway point, and at that point, I lost complete feeling of my legs. Anyone else? Like, I have pictures of me running the 400, and it's like I'm a flailing chicken, okay? Like, I, it's like my legs are almost demembered, okay? And then finally, the, the only thing that gets you by at the three-quarter mark, because now you can't feel anything and you're completely hallucinating. I mean, I remember seeing giraffes on the track. You know, I'm like, Mom, is that a giraffe? You know, and the only thing that got you by is you kind of, out of the corner of your still visible eye, could see the finish line. I was like, dear mother, one day this is going to be over, you know. And, and so you cross the finish line. One of my buddies always threw up at the end of the 400 right there, seriously. He would cross the finish line, stop, and throw up right in everyone's feet. It's a true story. Um, like that was the 400. That was my concept of, of racing uh, growing up. And I know all of you bring in different kinds of connotations. Some of you guys enjoy racing cars, and uh, most of you guys don't enjoy the, the runner's race. But, but all of a sudden tonight, Paul is going to take this, this imagery that every single one of us can relate to. Not because you've raced per se, though there's a good chance you have, but because it's such a universal image that Paul can take that universal image and do some phenomenal teaching from it. 
If we were to take uh, the collection of the previous weeks and, and put it in some words, we would say, uh, now in the racing analogy, we would say that how you run drastically affects others. How you run can be a stumbling block to others. How you run can aid or be a servant in people's growth or sanctification. Well, tonight with this image of racing and running, I'm serious. I'm, I'm not so sure that there's um, been a time in 1 Corinthians where the word will so confront each of us. And so I'm going to pray that that's what it does here. If you're here, I'm so grateful that you are. Because there is a chance this evening, man, that the Lord can just grab your heart and completely shift your perspective on life as it is. Let me pray for that to happen. Let's go for it. Come on. Uh, so, Father, I would ask um, that right now you confront us with the truth and the reality of your word. I pray for my friends that are here, God, maybe you even who have come tonight uh, unsuspecting of, of just the hard, awesome truth from your scripture. I pray, God, that your word would convict and cut and open us up and expose us and, most importantly, drive us to the foot of your cross where you are waiting with open arms, with grace and love. So God, help us receive that tonight. I pray for a, a boldness, even in the words that are being communicated. God, I pray that, um, that there would be nothing in my flesh that would distract us. Instead, I pray, God, that your spirit will speak. So we ask all this in your great name and for your great glory. And all God's people said, amen. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to finish the chapter. Four verses tonight. Four verses, count them. I want to read them uh, in their entirety. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 24. Read all four verses and then we'll break them down as we go along here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. When you're there, say I'm there. Awesome. For the three of us, here we go. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Listen, 12 times in Paul's writings does he make mention of athletic activity. 12 times, this being one. So run, he says at the end of verse 24, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Cue the Rocky theme song. Finally, verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. A beautiful, beautiful text, four verses. Again, let's begin here in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners won, but, uh, run, but only one receives the prize? So he says, run, that you may obtain it. There is one crystal clear question we must answer first, and that question is this. Why does Paul use the race imagery? And specifically, why does he use it for the Corinthians? Okay? Well, there's two main reasons, I believe. The first is this. Next slide. Okay, so you guys have heard of the Olympics, okay? Big, famous, familiar uh, worldwide games. Well, you remember that Corinth sits on an isthmus, okay? A, a kind of a meeting of two bays with a small piece of land in between. Every second and fourth year of the ancient Olympic games, there would be the Isthmian games held at Corinth. This is some of the ruins from them, okay? So in other words, when Paul starts talking about a race with the Corinthians, there's a very clear understanding of what it is he's talking about to every single person 
in this context and taken from last week's teaching, he does in this image a phenomenal job of contextualizing. Okay? Does that make sense? That's the first reason. Every Corinthian would understand a race, game, Olympic-ish image. The second is that a race and our faith and pursuit of Christ have so many similarities. So many similarities. I want to look at and propose just five to you, though there's many more. Number one, the similarities between living for Christ and a race. There is a start and a finish. The starting place, Scripture says, is the confession out of our mouth that Jesus is Lord, real King, Savior, and the belief in our heart. And what happens at that starting point, the Scripture says, is when we profess that, believe that, that we are sealed with the Spirit. In other words, God gifts us His Holy Spirit. I know some of you would point back to a very specific time. Okay, others of you maybe would say your salvation was more of a journey. Either way, from God's perspective, there is a start, a clear start. And there is a clear finish. The problem is we're much better at starting something than finishing something, right? We're amazing starters. We can start anything. And so many, so many of you have started so many resolutions or thoughts or ideas or visions to never, ever uh, finish them. In fact, let me ask it this way. What do you think is the percentage of things that you started that you haven't finished? Well, it's, it's horrific to even begin to try to conceptualize that as it pertains to our faith. So let me say it this way. What we believe here at Matthias is if saved, always saved. If you are a believer, a son or daughter of God, if he has pulled you out, adopted you from the orphanage, he never puts you back on the street. Once you are a son or daughter of God, you are always a son or daughter of God. Does that make sense? If saved, always saved. So for the person that says they are a follower of God, but then flips God the bird, turns their back on God, never to repent, turn back to the Lord, that person is proving that their salvation was never genuine. If saved, always saved. I, Keith, no one else here, is a judger of souls. We leave that to the Lord, but that's the principle we trust and live by. Does that make sense? Okay. So just because you think you started it, okay, it's not just about starting, it's about finishing. We'll talk about both of those principles as we go on. The second similarity between living for Christ and a race is the race is difficult. There was never a point in the 400 where I loved it. It was always tough, always difficult. In fact, every race that I've ever run, there's always pain involved. And if anyone should be talking about that, certainly it would be Paul. Hey, listen, uh, believer in the room, let me make sure you understand this. When you say, Jesus, you're my Savior, okay, you don't get a, a, a dozen daisies at your doorstep every day. Okay, like all of a sudden you haven't signed up for something that is just going to be the easiest, you know, cruise ride down uh, the street that you've ever experienced before. No, it comes with great difficulty. Oh, the difficulty is worth it. The joy amidst it, unbelievable. But my friends, Jesus said himself, they hated me and they're going to hate you. It is difficult, especially in this culture as we see it now. It's always crazy to me that people think that America is a Christian culture. Oh, America, we're we're a Christian nation founded on, et cetera. cetera. And and people get surprised 
when they see our culture and the status, why are we so surprised? Because this is the reality of sin. And especially, man, right now in political season, I, I, I see, you know, Christians all of a sudden start rearing their political claws. And what I believe my task is, is daily and continually reminding the believer amidst the culture we live in, our loyalties are to Christ. That's it. Our loyalties are to Christ. And so all the other things as they flesh themselves out, they may. But we live in a culture that's difficult because it's written, it's written with sin. And so we're going to experience difficulties amidst it. A race is very, very similar. Thirdly, the similarities between living for Christ and a race, running well requires, and I use the word uh, intense strategically, intense training. We're going to talk about that principle as we go on tonight, but the the similarities are clear. Like, look, if you want to run well, you have to train. Imagine uh, showing up for a 400, and some of you guys had to do this in PE, right? Like you showed up and, okay, run a 400 a day. And the feeling that you had after that because you hadn't trained, unbelievable. Great uh, similarities. Number four, similarities between living for Christ and a race. It takes all of you, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Later in life, another horrible mistake. Some of you guys have heard this. I decided to run a half marathon. Worst decision I've ever made in my life, okay? And the day before, I bought new shoes, okay? wasn't thinking this through, um, you know, you're supposed to kind of break them in. I thought it'd be nice to rock a new pair of shoes since I wasn't sponsored by anyone, you know, to kind of look fresh, you know. Um, needless to say, I got a mile in and my, my feet were like saying, kill me, you know. Like, it was just horrible. The whole thing was horrible. And, and so my mind wasn't in it. I, I was trying to give kind of half-hearted strength and it just wasn't, it wasn't working. If you want to run well, it requires all of your heart, mind, soul, or strength. That's why uh, Jesus said, The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It takes all of you, all of you. And finally, this is the principle that I don't think many of you believe. How you run matters. I think some of you have entered into tonight believing that you can just live your life however you want, and it really doesn't matter. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, it's all good. I can live like hell, receive God's grace, and it'll be a wash in the end. I hope tonight through our journey that some of those thoughts get reshaped a little bit. These are the reasons, again, amongst amongst others, why Paul uses this very, very clear race imagery. For us, like all of this transcends. It's crazy how something 2,000 years ago is so relevant today. So back to verse 24 and what I believe his main thesis at the end, okay? Do not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Here's his thesis. So run that you what? Come on. May what? May obtain it. Well, what it is, we will find out here shortly. But that's his main point. We need to run. Next slide. And let's highlight this in a way that we can obtain. In other words, how we run matters. And whatever he says after this is going to lay out For us, what he believes obtaining it is, or how we are to run. He's going to lay out three things. Let's look at the first one first in verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. All right, well, first, let's, let's let's walk through this a little bit. So how, is there any wrestlers here? Any wrestlers? Okay. There we go. A few, 
There's four of us, good. We're off and running. Okay, so um, when I was a junior in high school, our wrestling team in high school won the state championship, 23-0. and uh, It was an unbelievable run, uh, never lost. And, and I watched these guys and what they had to do to get to the place where they were at. I would walk in the locker room at times, and they would literally be, they would literally be like six layers of clothing on a treadmill, like doing whatever they possibly could to, to drop that like last half a pound. Like it was, it was an, like at times uh, our friends would just like put a piece of pizza in front of the wrestler trying to cut weight, you know? And it was crazy to watch what a wrestler would do in negating the coveted piece of pizza to make sure that they made weight. You guys know what I'm saying? Like it's crazy what an athlete will do to put themselves in shape for whatever the desired goal is, a team victory, a personal victory to hit the three, whatever, it doesn't matter. I was enamored with how these wrestlers would cut weight, make the weight, and then go out and win on like, they hadn't eaten anything for like six days. It was crazy. That's what Paul's saying. Every athlete exercises self-control. Next slide, which is the first piece of running well. If you want to run well, and you aren't self-controlled, then there is a massive disconnect to how your perspective is about that self-control. So let's pause before we do anything else. Just right now as it stands, right now as it stands, would you consider yourself a self-controlled person or a out-of-control person? And again, I'm not interested in what you would say. I'm interested in your behavior, your actions, the fruit of your life. Would you say you lean more to self-controlled or do you lean more to out of control? I've learned so much on this topic tonight. And so I want to invite you in with me to take a very, very strategic, specific journey. Next slide. If self-control is key to running the race well, how would you rate your race right now? This is a heavy question. Because certainly for just about every one of us in here, there are areas of lacking self-control. So the first thing I want to do for us is lay out biblically where and what self-control is. First of all, next slide, it's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Many of you learn this with like the fruit of the loom, fruit, underwear, people, right? Verse 23, gentleness, and look, what's that? Come on, self-control. In other words... God gives us his spirit, and one of the things that the spirit is doing is it is taking us to the person of Christ, and it is growing our understanding of what it is to be self-controlled. That's that's literally the spirit that we have in us. In other words, the spirit in us produces these things. So you already have at your access in Christ the thing necessary to leave being out of control and to be self-controlled. And actually, it's kind of a, a funny play on words because fruit of the Spirit is self-controlled, but at the end of the day, the thing that's controlling you is the love of Christ. We're going to see that in a little bit. Isn't that beautiful? Okay? But it's not just a fruit of the Spirit. Next slide. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Look at this but of power and love and self-control. He has given us the Spirit. 
rarely quote, uh, quote Proverbs, but here's a phenomenal piece of Proverbs chapter 25. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I'm wondering tonight if uh, that's the way you feel. Exhibiting minimal amounts of self-control at all. Is that you? Justin, come up here. Let's have a moment. Come here, me and you, bro. This will be fun. I know it's somewhat scary. Your beard's looking epic, bro. How you doing? How's it going? Good to see you, man. You use any oil for that beard, or is that just straight up? Oil. Okay, use oil. What kind of oil? Uh, That's all right. We digress. Okay, so. I don't know. All right. Here's my question for you, okay? I want you to be 100% honest. I know you're like, oh, dear, Mark. Okay. What is your favorite candy? Okay, your absolute favorite candy in the world. Reese's peanut butter cup. Anyone else? Okay. It's your people, bro. It's your people. New friends. Um, all right. What if I told you this? What if I said, Justin, here's the deal. Starting right now, if you eat another Reese's peanut butter cup, you're going to die. You will die. You eat one more, you're dead. It's over. Game over. Okay. Like, what are some of the first thoughts that go through your mind? Don't eat a Reese's peanut butter cup. Probably. <laughs> Probably, but, but you need proof, right? Like, like, wouldn't you, if I just randomly right now, just, and we were like not having this conversation, I said, Justin, if you, don't, if you eat one, you're going to die. You would be like, well, Mark, like, but I just had like 30, you know, like, Mark, in the last, th- you know, I, I've just had a bunch, but what if all of a sudden I like, I brought this, you know, I brought a little picture, right? And it happened to be a, whatever, a friend of yours or something. And they've got like a Reese's peanut butter cup hanging out of their mouth and they're clearly deceased, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like yeah, and I know it's somewhat morbid and awkward for our, our but listen, my point is, is that all of a sudden you would have a belief that if you ate one, you would die. What do you guys think the chances are that he doesn't eat, eat one? You see what I'm saying? Like, so he can, he can like, he can like flirt with it and wonder for the rest of his life, what if I ate this? But if he saw the proof that he was dead, now let's completely flip it, right? What if I came to you? I said, Justin, here's the deal, bro. I'm guaranteeing you, if you exercise 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, Justin, that you will live a much healthier life. What's your reaction to that? Right? See what I'm saying? So on the death side, so if I, you, you name the example right now. If I came to all of you and I said, your favorite thing in the world, your favorite food, whatever, and then there was legitimate proof that you would in fact die if you ate those things. Every single one of us, all of a sudden, would become drastically self-controlled. Wouldn't we? We'd be like, heck no, like I'm not going to die. But then I told you how you can experience the fullness of life. And for whatever reason, it doesn't have the same effect, even if we believe that we will live a more healthy life. You guys understand what I'm saying? This happens every day. Thanks, bro. This happens every day. I mean, people tell you all the time, like, like this is how you can experience life. If you just do these things, you will, man, find so much more joy. You'll live more healthy. Well, then, then all of a sudden we have a clear understanding of what our problem in self-control is. Let me say it this way. 
I think most of you believe that your self-control issue is a willpower issue. So the wrestler sees the piece of pizza. And if they have enough willpower, they will negate it. If they try hard enough, if they pull up their bootstraps fast enough, then they look at that pizza, the, 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 they look at the piece of pizza and they negate it. You know how exhausting it is to live by willpower? You, you know? Of course you do. You know it is. Why? Because some of you right now, in areas of your life, completely out of control. Why? Because it's based solely on willpower. And those of you guys who have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Once you give in, the willpower tank is like absolutely diminished. You give in once, the willpower lessens. You give in again, the willpower lessens. And on and on and on. Next slide. Let's say it this way. We lack self-control because we struggle believing that the race of following Christ is life and death. We like believe that this race of following Christ, like we're like running around with like balloons in like a circus act, wearing costumes. And it's just like happy, happy, joy, joy. We don't really have to take it serious. God's grace is good, not negating his grace at all. But what we've done is we've lessened it We've stopped believing that it's a life or death issue. And so when Paul says, look, if you want to run in a way to obtain it, every athlete, like even the wrestler, even the wrestler, they will negate and they will cut weight and they will do crazy things to to wrestle a match. And the follower of Christ, who like has things at his access on a different galaxy than the wrestler, will find themselves with a lesser piece of self-control? Does that not create a dichotomy in anyone else's mind? Why is the wrestler more self-controlled to wrestle a match than the believer who has every freedom and love of Christ? That makes no sense. Then the only reason is, is because they don't believe it's, it's life or death. That's it. It's become kind of like a religious sideshow. Right? Next slide. For those struggling to believe that, let me show it to you this way. For the love of Christ controls us. Control. Love. See, many of you uh, connected control, again, with yourself, or you connected it with some kind of dictatorship. Uh, Instead, what the scripture says is the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Please see this. If you miss this, you're going to miss so much. That one has died for all. Therefore, what? All have what? All have died. It's a matter of life or death. Now look at this. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You guys see? Life and death. The death of Christ through the death of Christ and belief in the power of the death of Christ, now it gives life to all of those who would follow that. So, the death of Christ provides life for the people of Christ because they're experiencing the freedoms of Christ. But, 
We come to a moment of indulge, watch pornography, struggle sexually in your relationship, drop a few F-bombs in the locker room, whatever. You name the indulgent, you name the sin. And our lack of self-control in that moment, I believe wholeheartedly, is a lack of belief that it's life or death. Why? Because if we thought we were going to die, we wouldn't do it. So then the death of Christ in that moment must not mean something. Are you guys with me? This is heavy stuff because it causes a confrontation with God's word for each of us. And it's not me at you. It's God's word at all of us. Are we together? Okay. So Paul is coming at this race imagery with something that is incredibly intense. And you remember his whole, his whole focus was that, okay, if we run in this way to obtain it, every athlete has self-control, and, and we get an imperishable wreath, even though athletes get a perishable. Well, in the Isthmian games, listen, this is a true story, they would get a dried celery wreath, and it was boss, okay? You got the dried celery wreath, it means you won. Like, congratulations, here's some dried celery. You want some ranch with that? Like, like that's what you would get, Okay. And that's what Paul's point is. The wrestler will do crazy things for a perishable dried celery wreath. And yet you have something else. The believer in Christ gets something more. Something that does not fade, that does not expire, that does not die. And so you would think then that self-control would be a testimony to the rest of the world that those people are controlled by the love of Christ. But I'm asking, is that the message that we're sending? Next slide. So he says, I do not run aimlessly, verse 26. I do not box as one beating the air. This is beautiful, beautiful stuff. His second teaching in this. The first way to obtain it is self-control. The second way he makes very, very clear, next slide, it's to not run aimlessly, or I would call it to focus. Now to focus, uh, how many of you guys have Nintendo Wii? You guys have any Wii? Okay. One of the best parts about the Wii was when, you know, like the boxing thing, right? So if you, if you turned a camera, and if you just, like, if you didn't know there was a screen here, and you were just you were focusing on the people playing the boxing game on Nintendo Wii, it would look ludicrous, wouldn't it? Because they're like standing there, right? And they're like getting in the, like whatever the kind of boxing face there is, some kind of like, you know, like bottom lip biting, right? And you were just focusing on them. They're, They're literally like boxing at nothing. And that image is precisely how many of you feel right now. Boxing at nothing. Running for nothing. Paul says he's not running aimlessly. He says he's focused. There's one thing I've learned more about life in general, in Christ, is that if you aren't clear on mission and why it is that you're doing what it is that you're doing, life just just drains out. I think it's why some of you tonight are exhausted. I think it's why some of you would describe that you're on the brink of burnout. It's because you've 
You're literally boxing at the air. Uh, Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. This is our calling. Verse 16, please see this. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Purposeless. Being in the air. Aimless. Paul says, look, if you're going to run well, you are going to have a tremendous focus. So let's make the statement this way. Next slide. If you are running aimlessly, you have forgotten why you are running, where you are running, and who you are running for. There have been a few kind of pinnacle moments in my life where I had forgotten all these things. And again, I relate so much to those of you that are experiencing this or can remember recent days where you're experiencing this. For me, it was when a lot of life was starting to fall apart and crumble. I remember waking up some days just being like, like why, why, literally, why am I even doing this? Like, what, what is the point to all this? My family was going through a lot of struggles. And then I had a, a profound moment. Many of you guys have heard the story who know my personal story, but my dying grandfather God used um, to help remind me that if there's no focus, there's no finish. He uh, used my grandfather uh, to point me in the direction of some words that Paul said at the end of his life. Here's the it that we obtain. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. You see? Not one that's fading, not one that's perishable, one that's imperishable. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all have loved his appearing. With focus comes finishing. No focus, no finish. This is the awesome picture of the end of Paul's life. I, I have fought it, man. Like, I have, I have finished the race. Here I am. And again, many believe that these were the last chapters that he ever wrote, ever penned. So I have, I have a heart for those of you that are struggling with that. And I want to put some legs to that heart right now and just say, to those of you right now that are confused on even what racetrack you're running on, if you're absolutely exhausted because you're feel, you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you're wondering for what, I just want to cover you in prayer right now. There's, there's nothing more draining of life than that. Waking up, not knowing why even you're living. So let me pray for you right now before we take another step further. Is that cool? God, for my brothers and sisters here right now who feel aimless, I ask right now that you would breathe mission and purpose into them right this very second. Overwhelm them, God, with an unbelievable understanding an unbelievable understanding, God, of what it means to submit to you and the joy that comes from that. 
for those struggling, help them see, find, and experience the joy of the life that's found in you. Right now, in this literal second, God, please make it happen in their heart. In your great name, amen. Finally, here's verse 27, beautiful text. But I discipline my body, Paul says, and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, if if I'm going to just keep telling people how to run the race and I don't run it myself, if I'm going to keep telling people about the race in general and not be in the race, or if I'm going to keep telling people why they're running and yet I'm not receiving it myself, like I've disqualified myself. So he says, I've, I've disciplined my body. Now, the Greek word there for discipline is really, really interesting. Listen, it has a connotation of beating oneself under the brow. The way we would translate it is giving oneself a black eye. Uh, let me say it this way. Next slide. He's literally saying, like, I have submitted my body for training. So in other words, if I'm going to run well, then I must train even though it will be painful. Two days in football, hated them. Are you kidding me? Let's practice twice. No, no, let's not practice twice, okay? Let's not, let's not run more than we need to. No, but, but, but I had to do it. Even though it was painful, the, the training was going to prove beneficial. How many of you basketball players here? Okay, let's keep going with the, okay, okay. Oh my goodness, four? How many chess players? Any chess players? All right, okay. God love you, I just played chess this afternoon. All right, so the computer beat me. Anyway, so, so in basketball, we had to do these things called wall sits. It sounds really nice and quaint. They're horrible, okay? Have you guys ever heard? You like sit against the wall, and the, the wall being back here, okay? I, I'm already hurting, right? And like your coach is like screaming at you in your face, just like spitting all over your face, and you're supposed to like keep this pose, Right? And I mean, everything in you is hurting. You know, you want to quit the world. I mean, there's not, you know, you don't want to do anything in that moment. Your legs are shaking. You can see your, your triceps coming out of your legs. Wrong muscle. You, can, you guys understand. You can see stuff happening, okay? But you know, but you know that the training, that the training will prove beneficial. Let me tell you our heart here at Matthias. I long for, and we together long for, we want to see people come to Christ. More and more and more. God keeps saving people. And then what we want to do is we want to see people continue to grow in Christ. So we want to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. That's our heart here. Does that make sense, everybody? That's our desire. Okay. But the growing, uh, the growing in Christ peace is a little bit different than training for a basketball game. You train for a basketball game, you train for a chess tournament, and then you go to the game. But the different thing in Christ is, you come to Christ, and then the training happens while you're already walking with Christ. you guys see the difference? So it's kind of like making an airplane while it's in the air, right? You're being trained every single day as you're growing in, in Christ. Painful, difficult, all kinds of pieces to it, but training nonetheless. And what I have found is that people long 
to say that they're pursuing Christ and don't want any of the training there within. Those are the same people that train for school to take a test. Listen, let me just show you how ludicrous we are. We escalate training for a test, training to understand a menu so that we can be a waiter or waitress, training to uh, fulfill this athletic activity. We train for all of those things. And then when it comes to being trained and grow, growing in Christ, all of that sits underneath being a waiter. Does that not, is that not problematic for anyone else? We're like, you know what? Listen, because school is going to like give me a grade, man, you know? And so because of that, I, I, I have to, Mark, you know what I'm saying? I, I have to do this. And then every single day that we believe that, we continue to take the life and death of the reality of the gospel and diminish it to a sideshow circus. I'm troubled by that. I hope you are too. In fact, I hope right now you're finding yourself stirred because what you're realizing right now is you're not interested in being trained at all, but you want to run the race. If you want to run the race, then the joy in Christ is in the training, is in the beauty of the scripture is in the trials that you will endure so that you're brought to the end of yourself so that you can fully rest in Christ. And on and on and on. Let me say it this way, for me and for you. We can't keep saying we're interested in the race of Christ, but we're not interested in the training. That doesn't work. We can't, we can't keep saying those things. Next slide. We want to obtain the unfading, imperishable crown of righteousness. And what Paul says is, you run this way. You run with self-control. You run with focus. And you run with tremendous training as you're undergirding. The most pertinent, powerful question I'll ask you guys in a long time is this. How serious are you? I think one of the first steps is proper declaration. And I think tonight that you need to properly declare how serious you currently are. And again, I'm not asking what you would say. I'm asking about what your life displays. Is it life or death? Or is it not? The reward, the joy, is the crown of righteousness. Being with Christ forever. And again, if that doesn't interest you, that's a whole other teaching. 
the penalty is clear. That's why it is life or death. Without Christ, it means that not only do you not get an imperishable wreath, but you yourself become perishable and spend an eternity separated from God. How serious are you? So I hope then at this point you're like, okay, all right, Mark, so what if I want to get serious? Mark, what if I want to be self-controlled? Mark, what if I want to stop running flippantly? Mark, what if I, I'm tired of this lethargic system and rhythm that I'm in? What if I desire those things? Then for all of you, I have great hope. Check this out in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, look at this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. When I was training for several sports, one of the things that we would do is we would tie up weights behind us. Some of you guys have done this as well. And we would run because you're building up endurance and strength. And then all of a sudden, the weight would be cut off and it was like all of you, like you were like Superman, right? Like you, you just had crazy speed because this weight was gone. That's precisely what is being written about here. Like, like lay aside, take off those things. They're gone now in Christ. Every weight and sin which clings so closely and what? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every single person in this room in Christ has a race set before you. I don't know how long that race is. That's what's crazy about this room. Some of you literally, it may be down to the three-month mark. I don't know. I may be down to the two-month mark. Some of you may have 30, 40, 50, 60 years left in the race. I'm not sure. But either way, we're called to run it with endurance, perseverance, with joy through the pain. Why? Because we're able to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, look at this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus was focused. He finished because he was focused. On what you say, obedience to the Father. He was focused on finishing the work. That's why as he's dying, he says, it is finished. He's focused on the glory of his Father. He's focused on taking the wrath and weight of our sin so that we could find forgiveness. And on and on and on. He's focused on those things. That's why even in the waning days of Jesus' life, as he prays, is there any other way? He knows there is not. And so he remains self-controlled, takes the weight of our sin, finishes. So we can look to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and look at this, and because of that is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our hope is Christ, period. Listen, like you're not looking at Mr. Self-Controlled here. I have plenty of areas of my life where I'm lacking self-control or, or admittingly wanting to run the race without being trained, trying to, you know, pull things up by my own bootstraps. I'm tired of those ways of living. What I'm realizing tonight more and more seriously, what I'm realizing tonight is I'm either going to start believing that this is life or death and wake up tomorrow believing that or 
I'm going to continue with the, with the potential of having this perpetual give or take. God's grace is good, and it is. It is good, and it does forgive. But what do you want to do with that grace? You want to take that and spit it out? Take it for granted? Find yourself one more day lacking self-control so then you can just scream out for his forgiveness again and guess what? It'll come. But to me, a bunch of servants saying, you know what, God, we're just going to take that grace and use it for our advantage. I don't want that for you and I don't want that for me. So maybe there's a different way to run. Let's stand together. Come on. So I think for some of you, what you're realizing tonight is you're not serious at all. I think some of you tonight are realizing that um, your faith and your pursuit of Christ has become this side interest. And so for hope tonight, what if you called out to the Lord in ways that you never, ever have? What if you screamed out to him? Lord, help me. I'm, I'm tired of the aimless race. I'm tired of, of just trying to will self-control. Jesus, show me again what your broken body really meant. God, give me that perspective. Cry out to him. Listen, what if tonight was the first time in a long time you boldly approached his throne and said, oh God, please help me. I don't want to take your grace for granted. I don't want to take your broken body for granted. I don't want want to take this spilt blood as some meaningless thing so that I can just take advantage for grace and He held up the cup to his disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And his broken body and shed blood wasn't so that 2,000 years ago a bunch of people could applaud it and say, well done, Jesus. No, it's so a bunch of people could benefit from it and then live in light of it. His death means our life and there will never be a day where we're not in between this life or death chasm that thrusts us to his presence his arms, his grace, his love and so tonight cry out to him repent of the lethargic race and share in the power of Christ as the author and perfecter of your faith. Come to this table, believers, and cry out to him. Let's run together.